bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Well, I'm disappointed that I don't have a snazzy theme song to sing this week for this film. Uh, I feel deprived after last week giving us not one, but two kick-ass musical numbers. Yeah, Um, this one does not have a theme song, but it does have eerie cherubic voices uh, over church organs. (laughs) So so we do get that. (laughs) That's the next best thing, right? To to party the whole night long is... Cherubic chanting voices. <laughs> Horrifying. I was in choir as a child. Um, and it, it's it's very triggering hearing those those uh, choral numbers because um, it just sounds like a, my childhood. It does. I was raised Catholic. What about you? No, I was not. Lucky you. I was, I was not raised anything. Good. <laughs> and in fact, I mean, we're going to get a little sidetrack here, but in fact, when I was like in... I don't even remember, maybe like sixth or seventh grade, like the neighborhood kids, like one of the cool things I guess to do was to go to vacation Bible school during the summer. It was like a week at a church and they had tried to talk me into getting baptized. And I was really excited about it. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get baptized. I didn't really know what it was. And like the day before I was supposed to do it, my mom and my mom told me I couldn't do it because she said I was too young to make that decision. Your mother was sensible. Um, My family was in deep, with the whole Catholicism thing, but not like, I mean, there's some families that like take it to an extreme. No, we just went to church every fucking Sunday. Um, I was um, confirmed. This is a story. This is how people knew I was a homosexual before I did. Um, just an example. So, uh, you know, with confirmation, you get to pick your patron. You get to pick your saint, what saint name you want uh, to be confirmed under. And I wanted, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted Mary Magdalene because in at even at the, the tender age of 11, 12, I understood that I related to her and they like had to sit me down and be like, Roger, you're a boy and you cannot have Mary Magdalene. I was like, well, what about just Magdalene? Like I was trying to like barter with them and they're like, no. So I had to pick Luke. But ever since then, I've been spiteful towards the Catholics for depriving me. Oh, uh, I'm sure they've, they've, they deprive a lot of people of a lot of things, but yes, uh, but they don't deprive us <laughs> of a slasher movie. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. And if you, okay. So if you haven't guessed this week, we are discussing the 1976 slasher slasher. That's a slasher. Um, Alice, sweet Alice, AKA communion, AKA holy terror. Um, and, you know, we spent two hours last week talking about evil laughs. So I feel like we should probably just cut some of the banter out and just get right into this film. Yeah. How can we not? I mean, honestly, it's the whole film. I sat down and watched it a couple of times. And I, I've got to say that the whole thing is extremely triggering uh, because there's a lot of Catholic imagery. But one thing like I'm very curious about, and maybe you can enlighten me as like a good segue into the actual film itself. Um you know, in in that era, in the 70s, early 80s, there was a lot of like 
backlash against slashers in general and how like they were promoting violence and everything. This one, how does this one not have a more of a like a um, taboo reputation, uh, especially like with the Catholics? Like I honestly was not aware of how um, of how heavy they laid on the Catholic subtext one imagery and just overall into the plot with this movie until I sat down and revisited it. I mean, aside from having beautiful visuals, this movie is completely about the Catholic church. And I'm shocked there's not more of an outcry to this day about, at least from them, I I could give two shits, but from them about how it uh, portrays Catholic guilt and um, uh, manipulation with religion. And there's just so many themes and so much going on. And um, I'm surprised there's not more of a, a backlash against this film, at least from the more religious uh, individuals out there. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I thought about that. And my only answer with that is that this film came out in 1976. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this was, think about it. It was two years before Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um a couple years after Black Christmas, the slasher genre wasn't really a thing yet um, in terms of like the boom it got when Halloween came out. So I think this one just kind of flew under the radar and it's kind of stayed there um, for a long time. It, it really hasn't, I think recently it kind of had a little cult resurgence, but um that's the only thing I could think of is that it just came out at a time when, and it just kind of went under the radar because it was this slasher film that came out before people really even knew what slasher films were. So it just kind of was dismissed as being maybe just, you know. Yeah. Because even though it's not like a kill heavy movie, when it does give us moments of violence, like it does not shy away from it. It's actually more violent than some of the films I think of when, when when we talk about the early era of the slasher. I mean, when it comes to stabbings, like you see full penetration of knife into flesh. You see like some pretty graphic imagery, uh, even in the, the concept of like, or in the execution of like how some people get stabbed and then like you see them like lingering. They're still alive, like crawling around and everything. It's, it's pretty graphic. And I was shocked for being from this era, how much violence uh, you get when you do get some of these few and far between kill sequences. And we'll go more into those. But yeah, this movie really, um, it surprised me um, in a lot of ways, both in the sense of violence and how much violence you do see in this movie, but also with like how ballsy they were with the script. And we'll get into that as well, because it handles some really heavy themes. Uh, It does not shy away from them, nor the imagery associated with them. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right from the opening, like we just talked about the opening credits, you get some eerie, eerie chanting, Catholic chanting with some, with this like grand haunting score. The score of this movie is very effective. Very effective. Very well. Yeah. Um, and it focuses in on a, the opening focuses on like this, uh, like this religious figurine with a veil on, with her head down, holding something that you think is a cross. And then in a very kind of cheesy looking way now, I'm sure it was effective back then, lifts it up and it's a knife. Ooh. It's kind of a cool little opening. You don't see openings like that anymore. No, you don't see a lot of openings that are specifically created just to be an opening sequence. It was kind of a, similar to the pumpkin with Halloween. I was just I was just gonna say you were so that I was just gonna say that I was just gonna say and it's kind of interesting that Halloween did something kind of similar thematically with their opening as this one did because again I want people to to keep this in mind 
this movie came out two years before Halloween. Okay. Now, am I saying that these the two movies are similar? No, um, but there are similarities for sure. Um, and I just think that a lot of people forget that there were sla- there were there were slasher movies before Halloween. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah. after the uh, effective opening credits, we get the scene of the church church bell ringing and the church is being dismissed, and we focus in on. Uh, a family of sorts. It's a family. It's a single mother, um, Catherine, who is played by the stunning Linda Miller. Stunning. Who, yes, she is gorgeous. Who happened to be Jason Miller's wife, uh, Jason Miller from The Exorcist, and is Jason Patrick's mother um, from The Lost Boys. Just a little trivia there. And uh, she's a she's got her own little piece of Hollywood history there herself. Yeah, and her, she's actually she's Jackie Gleason's daughter, also. Oh my God, genetics run strong in this woman. Um, but and her eyes—I just gotta say, God, I, I, get me, get me a pair of contacts styled after this woman's eyes. Like they are entrancing on camera. So she is quite, um, quite a uh, strong female focal character. I really like her. I like how she's played, even though it has like—I mean, it's in the seventies. There's a certain way that they portrayed characters back then but it's kind of cool in a way that you're seeing you know a movie that came ahead of the slasher um all the tropes and everything and it's giving us kind of a strong female from that time period i like her yeah yeah i do too she's very good in this i mean the whole cast is amazing but um she's definitely a standout and she has two daughters um karen who is played by the lovely young brooke shields has Brooke Shields always looked like Brooke Shields? Like, you know, some children are like, they look, when a kid is a kid, they look like a child. And then a child grows up and becomes an adult. Brooke Shields has always looked like Brooke Shields. Like she's stunningly gorgeous then. She was stunningly gorgeous in Blue Lagoon. And she's stunningly gorgeous now. Yes, yes. She is. Yeah, what I feel like, if any, if this movie is known for anything, it's, oh, it's the film debut of Brooke Shields. That's all you hear about, about this film. I remember, like, even if you go watch the trailer on YouTube, and I'm going to post it in the Dark Nine of the Podcast group, because it is the, it is the oddest trailer I've ever heard in my life. It's, it's so weird. I'll post it, but, like, even the trailer keeps saying, oh, Brooke Shields, and they put some, like, throughout the trailer, they don't even use an image of her from the movie. They use an image from her of her from, like, the Blue Lagoon, and it's just, like, kind of plastered in, in the frame. I'm like, this is odd. That is very odd, because Blue Lagoon is, <laughs> she's a very different age in that movie, and yeah. I would feel completely, like, thrown off by any of the imagery from that movie in contrast to this one. It is really odd. And so you get Karen, and then you get lovely Alice played by the enchanting Paula Shepard, who never really went on to do anything else, which is sad because she is a sight to behold in this film. She has like one vocal tone throughout the course of the entire film. And it is so like grating. Um, And it works because the child is supposed to be grating. Let me say like these two kids make me never want to spawn or reproduce ever. They are brats. They are absolutely atrocious i can't stand either of them karen is a pain in the ass and she's like such a fucking little bitch and she's like go into her mom for this and go into her mom for that and alice don't get me started on that one because she 
as you will find out, has her own set of problems. And that poor mother, like I, I'd be so heavily medicated. Of course, they didn't really medicate properly back in the 70s. Well, they probably give her like a Valium or something to get through this experience. Yeah. And keep in mind, the film actually takes place in 61. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yes, these kids are just, oh my God. But they, so after church, they go to father, um, father, the father's house, father, John, father, Tom, father, Tom, what's his name? John. Father Tom. Father Tom. I think it's Tom because it kept getting me confused with the other character who was Dom. Oh, that was And Father Tom has a gift for little Karen. She's all excited. And before he can give her the gift, Alice says she has to go to the bathroom. And you get Miss Mrs. Tradoni, this old Italian woman. I think it's the mother of the killer from Evil Lab. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I see the similarities for sure. Yeah. But it's this old it's this old Italian woman and she's furiously scrubbing the kitchen floor and Alice walks in, just walks right on the floor and is wearing this plastic opaque mask um, and just staring down at her. And Mrs. Tredoni's like, oh, you nasty child, get out of here. Poor Mrs. Tredoni right from the start, like that woman is not happy. She's a pretty miser- miserable dame. Um, and, you know, she's sm- scrubbing the floors, obviously miserable, very Catholic, very devoted, as you come to find out. But, yeah, I mean, if that kid pulled that shit with me, I would have fucking backhanded her right then and there. I am not pro-child abuse by any means. But as you'll realize with these children, it, it is deserved. These The one girl, at least, she's a fucking punk. She's a bad kid. I can't stand her. Alice. Alice is Alice is is definitely a well. I mean, she has the movie named after her. So, um, but what we Alice returns and you know has to sit at the counter. And what what we find out is Father Tom gives gives Karen a crucifix as a present for her first communion. This was odd to me, and I don't want to get into spoilers or anything like that. But the relationship between like Alice the mother and this father is very odd to me. And I'm wondering if there is some, some subtext going on that we're supposed to make maybe infer because why would he give her Alice a crucifix that belonged to his mother? He's like, Oh, it belonged to my mother. This is just a girl that goes to your church. And he makes the comment of, and and the mother's like, well, what if she loses it? And he makes the comment, well, who else would I give it to? And I'm wondering if there is some sort of, you know, do you know what I'm getting at? I'll just give you like um, the Scarlet Letter thing going on. Yeah, um, I definitely feel there's definitely a relationship between the like the you know the mother. Um, uh, is it is it Annie? What's the mom's name? Yeah, Catherine. Oh no, Catherine. Mom. Annie's the sister. Yeah, uh, Kat, no, Catherine. Um, She's got, there's definitely a, a unique relationship with her and the priest, especially him being like a younger, attractive priest. I think there's definitely like a suggestion that there's a, a sort of an attraction there between the two of them. Um, and he definitely like favors her family, but you're also right. Like uh, the whole implication of the mother being like kind of a whore, which carries through the whole thing, that scarlet letter, like you mentioned, um, I think maybe it's just the priest wanting to extend himself to the family, but and sometimes it almost reads as though there's like a, that there is an attraction. It is hard to read though. I don't know if that was intended. 
I don't know. But you, if you watch it, like even like think you don't pick up on it like the first or second viewing, but the, about the third or fourth, you will see that they're also very touchy with each other. Yes. Um, in just subtle ways that you don't really notice upon a first viewing. So I was just wondering, is there some was what was going? Was there some deeper thing that is involved with the whole concept of? Catholicism, guilt, confession, things like that, that we, that we're supposed to make. Yeah. Okay. So can I, and so Alice is not happy that Karen gets this, um, crucifix. And I can tell you if this actress, Paula Shepard has anything down, she certainly can give some stank eye pretty damn good. Oh my God. She covets that fucking crucifix. The moment she lays her eyes on it, she wants that cross so bad. Listen, even at my most, my most Catholic, and I, you know, I was in the choir. I was very involved. I never, ever wanted a cross that gaudy in all my life. This is a very gaudy cross, um, and it's very large for a small girl, but, uh, and everybody wants it in the movie. It seems to have some real meaning behind it. But yeah, now she, she covets that cross, and she pouts about it, and she makes it known. Yeah. Uh, and then, then after that, you get some you get some weird editing here. This is the editing in this scene was kind of to me a little all over the place because one minute they're at home um and Karen is throwing a fit because oh of course she's throwing a fit because Alice took her doll and she's mommy mommy she has my doll she's going to break it she won't shut up. She's like carrying on about this doll. The freak doll with two faces on it? The weird doll, yes. The what, weird who doll. gives that doll to a child anyways? And why is she so attached to it? It's horrifying. It is horrifying. It's hor- it's, it's it's the ugliest doll I've ever seen. It's not it's not even doesn't even look cuddly. Like its head is porcelain. It's not like yes. you're gonna be hugging it and, and it has it two fucking faces and no hair. No, it has no hair. Oh man, but she is throwing a fit because all she does in this fucking movie is whine. Thank God she's only in this for twelve minutes because I don't know if I could take any more. She's all she's whining about something, but then the editing is real weird because all of a sudden she's on her bike outside and Alice is in a abandoned warehouse and it's the editing is real choppy because one second she's on her uh, uh, Karen's on her bike riding her bike and there's that scene with the card flapping in her spokes. Yeah. And it cuts to she's already in the warehouse looking for Alice. It's just re- really weird editing. And they're both wearing those yellow rain slickers, which makes it even more confusing. Um, though I've got to say, Brooke Shields has the best hair, even as a child. Her hair is very voluminous in this film. I'm very envious. And they actually, these, yeah, these two actually look like they really could. Yes, be they do. They did a good job casting them opposite each other. But yeah, I agree with you on the editing. But you know, Alice, I'll say is I feel like watching that, you see some a lot of inspiration that eventually would be infused to um, future films, like in the sense of that kind of jump style of uh, jumping time frames, transitioning through edits in a cre- in such a creative way. Yeah, it's kind of startling, but it um it also seems very progressive for the time. I, I got to say that. And it also is, I feel like the director, Alfred Soule, we should talk about the director, Alfred, Alfred, Alfred Soule. I think he got a lot of inf- influence from Italian giallo, early 70s giallos. And I think that, that that style is definitely noticeable in this film, particularly in scenes like this that just seem like they're there for a specific aesthetic reason and not necessarily to drive the plot. But um, you do get... 
So Karen goes into this warehouse and is like, mother wants you home right now. And Alice jumps out in this mask, scares the shit out of Karen and then lifts the mask up and she's wearing another mask, which is like an old lady mask. And then she throws Karen into this room and like shuts the door and like locks her in there. And is just like smirking. Like she's so happy that she locked her little sister in this room. I'm like, you are an evil little girl. Yeah, Alice is very problematic. And like, even as the story progresses and becomes stranger and more uh, uh, full of twists and turns, like she is a little shit from beginning to end. And I got to say that, um, that the mother is not really doing herself any favors because she's completely just feeding into this child's outbursts and uh, enabling her. Like, I mean, this kid is a shit. She's a shitty kid, even without the, the whole like murdering side plot that happens. She is a piece of shit and she treats everyone so poorly. She's lying to everybody. Like, it's just, she's very manipulative. No one believes her. The only one that even buys into it is the mother. And I, I, you know, I can't really sympathize with her in some of these scenarios because this kid is just a horrible child. And it makes sense why people suspect her of doing evil things. It's sort of like the mother in the bad seed. I get a lot of the bad seed vibes from this film. Very much so, yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, she lets her out, and then she aggressively takes her and slams her against the wall, like, really hard. And it's like, if you tell mom about this, you'll never see that doll. Now go home. And Brookshield seems to be fine. She, well, yeah, because the very next scene, like, she walks in like nothing happened, and Alice is, like, right behind her. Yeah. They're like nothing happened. I'm like, that's okay. These siblings have a very toxic relationship. Yeah, yeah. They get home. Karen has a new dress, and of course, Alice has to try on the veil. And this is another fucking twenty minute outburst from stupid little Karen about Alice having the veil on. She's screaming at the top. She has my veil. She's gonna ruin it. And they start. The whole family starts screaming at each other. You get door slammed. You get. Oh my god. I'm like, this is. Medicate them. Put these children on meds. (laughs) Um, And then you get, (laughs) you cut to the downstairs apartment with Mr. Alonzo, (laughs) who... This guy came out of fucking nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) He is, I think his brother is the sheriff from Evil Laugh. Okay. It's all within the same world, all within the same timeline. Yeah. Yeah. Because this guy is about 800 pounds. We're not, I'm not exaggerating. He's morbidly obese. Um, Where did they find this gem? I'm going to get to that. He, (laughs) they dress him. They make him look as repulsive as possible. He's wearing a tank top that has food (laughs) all over the front of it. His pants have a big old piss stain. It's disgusting. <laughs> on the front. He has skid marks on the back of his pants. And he has his apartment is full of kittens. He is like an early era uh, episode of my 600-pound life, like waiting to happen. It is disgusting. It's very unfortunate. He's eating cat food. He's eating cat food. I was going to get to that. He's like, Mama, Mama's baby's hungry? So he opens up a can of cat food and he's like, well, mom is hungry. He gives the cats like one scoop of cat food and there's like 15 cats and he sits in the bed and eats the rest out of the can. 
Oh, and his eyes light up. His eyes are like rolling in the back of his head. Oh, God, this is the best shit I ever had. You guys get to share that. I'm going to eat the rest of this tin. Like, yeah, he's disgusting. Who is he? Tell me. Because I did not look into this. I did. I did. I went on IMDb. He actually. God bless you. The director found him at a gay bar. He was a bouncer at a gay bar. Oh, I knew it. I fucking knew it. He gave me some serious gay vibes. Yeah. Well, he calls himself Mama. No straight yeah. guy is going to call themselves mama. But then he does other things. I feel like what well, I, I feel like this man's body is in such a state of disarray that he'll just kind of take whatever he can get. As you realize later, as the film progresses, I worry for those cats. I'm sure like they have been touched in inappropriate ways because this man can't even really move. There's one point where he gets up off of a couch and it's like, I don't know how they fucking did it. I don't know how, how he got up that fast because his body is, it's shot. He's a big man, but I worry for him. It's this scene because Karen goes downstairs and walks past his door and he immediately opens the door and he's like, where are you going? Where are you going? I'm not feeling well. Oh, the store's not open on Sunday. You want to go to the store for me? And she's like, shut up, fatso. <laughs> Just, <laughs> they treat him, I guess, as he should be treated because he is a horrible person, but they just are very cruel to this large man. Oh, God. Who's also their landlord, correct? It is their landlord. It is their landlord. He, yeah. I want to stay in good favor with this guy. Oh, no. She, Karen calls him fatso. I mean, Alice calls him fatso throughout the whole movie. At least at one point, the mother offers him a piece cake because her children are very abusive towards him. Oh, yes. they. Well, not so much Karen. Alice is. Alice is. So now we get the day of communion. Um, and they're all piling in the church and they realize Alice isn't around. And this is when we get introduced to aunt Annie, who herself is a, whew, a handful to handle. A pain in my ass is who Annie is. She's difficult. She's what I call a difficult, a difficult cunt. This is, to, that's to say the least, the least. Yes. Yeah. Also, we also get introduced to that woman who's seen the chorale, uh, who looks like a, a, a like a Tammy Faye Baker impersonator. You know who I'm talking about? That woman, I mean, and we've all seen her because if you've been to a Catholic mass, there's always one of those women whose faces is painted like a drag queen and she's up there singing the hymns full volume. Yeah, yeah, she's, oh, she's getting it. So they're looking for Alice. Uh, Aunt Annie sends her her daughter, Angela, to go look for Alice. The and, one with the eating problem? Yes, the poor little girl. Um, and as Alice... Or as Karen is in line for the communion, a figure in the yellow raincoat and the opaque mask comes up behind her and strangles her to death with a large candle. Was not expecting a child murder so quickly, right off the bat. And this is a very brutal child murder. They do not shy away from, like, this isn't just like, oh, you hear about the child being murdered. No, they show... They show this little girl being strangled. They show her body being dragged across the floor. Slowly. They show her being, they, yes, they show her being put into a bench, an open like bench chamber. Her eyes wide they open. Show her eyes wide open. And then the killer proceeds to take a candle and light it and put it in the bench and close the door and basically set the kid's body on fire. It's pretty horrifying and like you don't see any of the aftermath of the body aside from well did you see like a photo at one point you see a photo but overall like during the actual sequence of like the burning of the child um 
you don't see anything, but like you see like the commotion and everything as like the smoke starts coming out and they start smelling it. And there's this elderly nun with a real sour facial expression throughout the whole film. She looks miserable, but then she starts screaming. I seriously thought she was going to die as well uh, by like, you know, her heart stopping because she's very old, but she makes it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way they handle it, it's mostly like the commotion of it. And it is pretty terrifying. It is, it is. And of course, Right, right after the body is put into the bench and set on fire, Alice emerges. So obviously we're supposed to assume then that Alice is probably the killer because the killer is wearing the same yellow raincoat, the same mask that Alice runs around in. Um, but Annie goes and sees the body. And this is like, Annie, you're a bitch. Because she has to immediately like run out and tell the mother in the most dramatic, like not even nonchalant way as possible she's dead like she screams it to the entire church she's dead annie karen's dead i'm like lady you could have taken that's your sister you could have taken her aside and been a little bit more tactful about oh yeah absolutely and like even like through the way they film it they make sure that it's as aggressive as possible because like she's literally like in the scream like screaming into the camera like dead into the camera like a fish-eyed lens like ow she's dead it's just, it's so like aggressive and um the, the poor mother is just like so overwhelmed and everybody is suspecting obviously that it's um that's Alice because she's wearing that damn veil and she's about to get that communion and boom, it hits the way they time it out is very, very effective. Yeah. She has the veil. She does not look overly. Alice doesn't look overly upset that her sister was, has been killed. There's not a moment of mourning. No, she's just like, she has that same kind of, look on her face that she does the entire movie. One of disdain. One of disdain. Like she's not having it at all. Oh, so that is pretty shocking. I mean, if you think about it for a film to kill off a kid, because I mean, I'm, I'm assuming in the movie, I think Alice is supposed to be 12. So I'm assuming, um, Karen was what? 10 maybe. Well, I'm trying to think. So I got my second communion in the second grade. I was seven. Okay. I was seven. Yeah, I was young. Okay, so maybe she's supposed to be younger than that. Yeah. But that's, it's pretty disturbing to see a kid. You don't see that a lot. Yeah. You can count on maybe one hand what, what films actually show a child get killed. And it goes back into your opening comment about the movie as far as why is it this movie more um, talked about as being like offensive. I don't even want to say offensive. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, Shocking. Why is it a- yes. Yeah. Like, and, and for Catholics, I'm sure, you know, there's, there's a full, they have a, a list of movies that they consider uh, impure or issues. And I'm, I'm sure that this falls on some, one of those lists because it, it really is beginning to end. It deals with Catholicism. It's not like a, like a topic that's like lightly touched on. Like this film is almost, I'd say predominantly set within a church or a church based venue, you know? And you know, and I was, and actually, I, like as we were talking about, as um, as Alice or as Karen is being strangled and murdered, the it, it, it keeps cutting to images of from the church, like yeah. it cuts to the face of Christ, it cuts to the Virgin Mary statue, it cuts to a crucifix. I mean, it's the, the the Catholicism symbolism is interwoven with this murder sequence, which makes it even more just like uneasy. Yeah, 
Another thing that they use a lot, um, and not just within the sequence, but a few times throughout the film, and it makes sense why the film, one of the alternate titles is as such, is they show a lot of imagery of, of people taking communion and they're taking it like in the traditional way before we started taking it, you know, just extending our hands and placing it within our own mouth when they used to actually place the communion on the tongue of the individual taking the communion, like the priest would lower the communion onto the tongue. And it is like, there is something about the imagery of people with their eyes just closed and they're like, mm, like tongue out, like, mm. and like, it's just, um, it creeps the fuck out of me. And maybe it's because I grew up in that environment and I like, you know, I did the whole shebang communion and all. Um, but like the whole mentality behind it, um, it's, it just adds a whole other layer of like, ugh, skeezy, like makes your skin crawl when you watch this killing happen because she's even choked to death with like a, a traditional candle from a church, like one of those white elegant candles. Like everything about this is blasphemous <laughs> to be honest you know yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and there's just there's like this whole there's also like this whole claustrophobic feel to how everything is shot like it's very tight um and even like i don't know it, it's just so effective so effective and so creepy i mean i think anytime you 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 can interweave like religious symbolism with 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 death and and stuff like that it's going to be extra creepy but Basically, we get uh, cut to the funeral. It's the day of the funeral for Alice, and this is what, or for Karen. And this is when uh, the father shows up, Dom Dominic, and Annie's real. Annie's a bitch to him too. Like, oh, Annie's a bitch to everyone. And like, I will say that Annie's probably got the best head on her shoulders in the sense of like how to treat that child. But like, it's not your place, Annie. Sit the fuck down. She's a control freak. Her poor husband looks like a turtle. He's so meek around her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's definitely wears the pants in the family. Because she tells Alice to get up and let her father sit there. And Alice is like, I'm not getting up. I'm staying here. And the father, Dom is like, no, I'll sit. I'll sit on the seat. It's And she, Annie gets up and storms out. I'll go sit in the other car then. And then she's like pounding on the door, telling her husband to scoot over. Oh, she's just... A pain, a pain, a pain. And that poor daughter, Angela. Yeah. Oh God. Like no wonder she has a nervous eating habit because those parents hate each other, but it is what it is. This whole family has problems. It's pretty clear. We have the funeral, the cops, uh, there's, there's two cops that are introduced and they kind of want to talk to Alice because they know that she was the last person to kind of see, or the last person that was seen in the church. So they want to kind of reach out to, to, to Alice. Um, and we cut back to Annie and Catherine and everyone's at home. And Annie's just barking out orders left and right. She's like telling Angela, don't eat anymore. She's telling her husband, you don't need that drink. She's just being. Whew. Yeah. And it's really clear, very clear that there is a uh, tension between Annie and Alice. Like uh, Annie, I think, sees right through Alice's bullshit. Alice does not like her in the house. There's a big dialogue about it. She's like, just go home. Like, I cannot believe the way that this girl speaks to her relatives. Um, she should be getting a bar of soap in the mouth or something. Mm. You know, it's just pretty unacceptable. Um, and so I don't, as much of a pain as Annie is, I don't blame her. because she's No, I, I don't either. She's the only one trying to keep shit together. 
Yeah, yeah. And she, but she is the one that kind of, when Dom is at the t- table, she's the one that starts to initiate the conversation about Alice possibly. I mean, it's very obvious what she's doing. She's painting Alice as, a, as the primary suspect because she's like, she's telling Dom about the veil. Did you know she had, she had Karen's veil? You know, how would she get that? Um, it makes sense. I mean, honestly, like it makes complete sense why she would be the main suspect her lashing out aside, like one thing this film does is it, it makes you as the viewer think that very much has to be the case. It's, it's executed in a way that she leaves that room wearing the veil. It's like a whodunit. Yeah. So uh, Catherine does not want the kids to hear this. So this is when she gives the cake to Alice to take down to uh, Mr. Alonzo and Annie's two kids, Angela and the brother, who we don't know what his name is, they go down and they knock on um, Mr. Alonzo's door and he answers. And he's being real, like, just being a jerk. He's being really creepy. He's being a jerk. He's like, oh, she was such a pretty girl. Too bad she's the one to end up in the box. Like, wow. Oh my God, these people are giving you a goddamn cake. Like, chill the fuck out. That guy is a piece of shit. I mean, this whole cast is pretty shitty to one another. Yeah, she like takes a big old finger thing of the frosting and like licks it off her finger real suggestively towards him. It's like, whew, this is, yeah. Yeah, there's a weird sexual tension between, let's get it, let's address the elephant in the room. There's a weird sexual te- chemistry, not was he chemistry, but a sexual tension between Alice and, uh, is it Alfonso? Yeah. Uh, that comes up a few times. Yeah. And I don't know who said that was okay. <laughs> I don't know why it's not addressed further. I don't know why she doesn't point it out to an adult figure. But it, it comes up a couple times. It's pretty gross. It is pretty gross. Yeah. Yeah. But he's pretty gross. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of all the people that she should have sexual with, <laughs> that would be the last one. <laughs> The the star-crossed love affair <laughs> between those two. <laughs> yes. But anyways, it's funny because then like he takes the cake and goes in and Angela's like, wow, he's fat. And I'm like, honey, you have no room to talk, right, sweetie? Because we don't watch yourself. You're going to be right there. But I also don't blame her for fucking eating when her mom is such a pill. Yeah, this is this is when they go down. Alice and Angela go downstairs to play, and they tell the brother he can't go, and he has to mosey back upstairs. And this is when you get... And he basically is no longer a character anymore, the brother. <laughs> you get the um, whole Annie and, and discussing Alice being the one, the last one to see the veil. And then it cuts to a very effective scene of a picture going down a... Going up a... What would you even call it? Uh, like a gurney. A gurney. And it's a picture of Alice's burned face. And it, we find out we're at the police station and we just so happened um, to be at the police station because Dom, the, the father, is, is going there to talk to the detectives. And the detectives are really playing good cop, bad cop really effectively. Yeah. And one thing I did notice is, like you can tell this was like, um, the you know the '60s because in the background there's like nude pictures of women like from Playboy posted all over their cubicles. There's like porn on the walls. I was yeah. like, what kind of professional environment is this? Who are these men? 
Um, and then I, I got to say it. Daddy Dom is kind of hot. Well, he's both a daddy in the sense he's actually a father to children, but he's like a, a grown man and he's kind of fucking handsome and he's authoritative. I like him. Um, but he has this very uncomfortable like meeting with these two police officers and the one is kind of incompetent. The other one is a little more got a little more has his head on his shoulders. I feel the one that's accusing that's being very um, accusing of Alice. Yes. Yeah. He's the one that, yeah, he's, he's the one he's going right in. He's like, how would she know it was Alice's veil or how would she know it was Karen's veil? Blah, blah, blah. And the dad gets pissed and says, I don't like where this is going. And he storms out. And we find out that this cop, the one that was being the ass, well, he's not really being an ass. He's being, he's doing his job. Yeah. He's being straightforward about it. Yeah. Yeah. He went to the Alice's school and got files from her principal. And it's come to find out that the principal has made several requests for Alice to see a psychiatrist that have been ignored. Um, and even he gives the files to the other cop and the other cop looks at him and he, he even says, God, this kid's nuts. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, everybody sees it aside from the mother. It is kind of baffling to me that she is so blind to her child's uh, anger issues and temperament issues. And aside from this film being like an analysis on like Catholic guilt, it also very heavily uh, deals with like um, mental illness ahead of its time. I'm not saying it necessarily is correct in every assumption or statement it makes about it, but like this movie definitely delves into the idea of this child having mental issues. She obviously has anger and outbursts and, um, and, and that, you know, we delve into that further as well, but I do appreciate it takes its time too. like, as you're getting a lot of these like layers, like with the police sequences and everything. And I said, the one is like a bumbling idiot. I'm not, not, not really like these guys both kind of know to look at this girl and suspect her of doing something. But the one guy is obviously the polished one. And the other one is like, you know, like we said, porn on the walls and just sloppy. Like they really do do a hardcore good cop, bad cop contrast. Um, but they really like take your, they take the the length of this film and it's over the course of several days and um they manage to like get the audience to start thinking one way and then all of a sudden they, they'll flip it and you think a different way it's really well constructed especially when they start bringing in this police aspect i'm not always a fan of like please put procedural procedurals you know but in this film it just enhances it because everything feels very real yeah 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 i don't mind it either um then you cut to Dom out in the phone booth. It's pouring rain and he calls, um, he's calling father Tom and, uh, Mr. Coney answers and is like being real evasive into letting him talk to the father. Um, and the father gets on the phone and he's like, Oh, well I told her if you called to let to put you through. So I don't know, maybe she forgot or something. I don't know. So that's kind of weird there. Cause she's being, she's being very like just belligerent about like him talking to the father uh, because he's eating his lunch. And so right there, there's a little bit of a, a red flag, I think. Um, so I don't know. What'd you think? Yeah, I think that they, um, I'll say that I feel they did a really good job with her character of playing her off as just an extreme, uh, like kind of a religious nut. Um, and I think like the accent helps with this character because it, I feel like when I'm watching her, she's just like a diehard, like Roman Catholic 
you know, fanatic. Those people exist and, and you see them. I, I know them. I've known those people. So, um, and you know, they'll throw a little, few, a few little red herring aspects out with her, but, um, it's nothing that I felt couldn't be explained, uh, easily explained just through character development. You know, like sometimes you'll get a red herring, at, uh, thrown at you and it's just like, Oh my God, this is so blatantly obvious, but everything with her is very, um, subtle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see she's just, she's just a strict rule follower, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, so he, he gets, he's going to meet with father Thomas to discuss the fact that the police came to see him about Alice. Uh, and then we cut back to Alice's apartment and this is when Alice and the aunt Annie get to do a big screaming match because Alice drops some milk and starts screaming that Annie was going to hit her. And uh, it just erupts into this big old verbal back and forth where Alice is like, she hates me. Why are you even here? My mom needs me. And Alice and Annie's like, you need to go back to school. And Alice is screaming about going to school. It's just this huge mess. Annie is a stronger person than I am because at that point I would have just started strangling the child. She is a manipulative bitch. She dropped that fucking milk. There was glass all over the floor. She's stepping in the glass. She's just a a shit starter. And you know what? The more this movie goes on, the more I'm like, Annie's got the right idea. Yeah. Yeah. She, Oh, Alice, Alice dropped that on purpose. And then she, to make matters worse, she literally does step in the glass and with on purpose and crunches it with her feet. She's just being a little, little bitch. Um, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So Karen, not Karen, Catherine, these names are just Catherine. They're all very similar. Alice, Annie. <laughs> yes. Catherine appeases her or calms her down by giving her the rent check to go take down to Mr. Alonzo. And this is such a weird, weird, weird Surreal. Disgusting, weird scene. It's very wow. So she goes into his apartment, and he's sitting on the ta- on the chair, just fanning himself. Um, and she's like, "I was gonna put it under the door, but where would you like me to put it? This place is so dirty. I don't think there's root. You, you probably never clean it." And then she's like, "It smells like cat piss." This is a tw- this is supposed to be a twelve year old girl. Keep that in mind. And he's yeah, she's ign- a shit starter. And he is ignoring her. And he, she's like, "What's the matter, fatty? Stuck in the chair?" I mean, she is just being a little twat. That being said, I don't think she deserves what's coming from this large man. No, well, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but he's like, "You don't like your aunt much, do you?" And she's like, well, "I don't like you." He's like, well, that's because me and your aunt are very perceptive people, and we know what you did at the church, and I can't wait to tell your dad. And she's like, what the hell do you know? And he's like, give me the check. So she like crumples the check in her hand, and he takes it from her. And this is when he weirdly like gets up and starts basically assaulting her. I mean, is that the right word? He like literally at one point starts like kissing her neck, and like this child, this child actress. Like how traumatizing was this scene? And um, yeah, it's 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 really repulsive. Like, I mean, I get that they're trying to establish that this guy's a horrible human being, and like eventually, ideally, gets what's coming to him, you know. Um, but I feel like you just push the boundaries. I don't know, and it, it, there's nothing that takes you don't take anything away from this. Like, 
aside from this one moment, it's never addressed again. Maybe if it had been something where she would have like reported it, then I'd have been like, okay. Well, and I was, I mean, I, trust me that I'm not defending any of these actions at all because I, it's disgusting what he does. But like when we were first introduced to him, I thought, okay, this is a, 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 an old obese, you know, gay man. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's called himself Mama. He's very kind of, he has that vibe to him. As He's got a goddamn fan. Yes. I saw, I saw okay, this is, a old, uh, this is just an old homo. You know, he's harmless. He's disgusting, but he's harmless. And then there's this scene. And part of me, I mean, this was the 70s, okay? The film was made in the 70s, so keep, let's keep that in mind, okay? Let's not try to apply anything that's happened in, in, with Me Too movement or anything like that in the last 10, 15 years to this film. Because yeah. my mind at first kind of went, is he just being, because she was just a ridiculous little twat to him and called him fatty and said he was stuck in a chair and crumpled the check, was he just being like, I don't want to say joking around, but, but was he just being like, you know, oh, I'll show you, you, you just did that to me, so I'm going to do something gross to you without really meaning to go where we think it was going to go? Does that make sense at all? where he could have been just been like, Oh, I'm going to show you, you, you just insulted me. So I'm going to, because I really thought he was an old gay man. And I'm like, I did too. I wonder also though, if like, if you look at this, the kind of lifestyle that they're like implying this man lives, I also wonder if he been like, if it is meant to go there, if he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. What, who, you know, it's a, it's a man, it's a woman, it's a child. <laughs> but it's uncomfortable because he literally pins her to the door and starts trying to kiss her neck. And she has the, I mean, this is sad. I mean, I don't want to see the kitty get killed, but she at least has the wherewithal to do something. And she grabs one of his kittens and basically kills it um, to, for him to let her go. And she screams at him. She's like, you, that's, you, that's the last time you'll ever try to kiss me again, you fat slob. And leaves and then he shuts the door and you can hear him in there screaming about her killing his cat. Um, but it's a very weird scene and it's not addressed again. It's not addressed again because if she, if she was that scared of him, if she, if this was something that he did like on a regular basis to her, she goes into his apartment later in the film without any qualms at all. So it just, it's so weird. It's just never addressed again. So that's kind of where my mind was going. Was he just, he was just, she was being a little bitch to him. So he was doing something to kind of get back at her. That's, kind of what I thought, but then maybe I'm wrong. It's, it yeah, is- well, and like, if we're going to go really deep with it, like, there's also the whole idea that like, obviously this man is like, basically like, you know, trapped in his home. Mm-hmm. One example of a mental illness. And she is obviously another example of a mental illness. And you have this very unsettling scene between two mentally ill people and they don't shy away from that in this film his dialogue like the way they portray him even the weird music playing in his room like it's always very like off and we're all those cats the stains on his clothes you know and she's a disturbed child and um this interaction between the two of them it's very off and surreal but it like I think it almost, if anything, it fits the tone of how off these characters are supposed to be. Because you don't have other scenes like that in the sense of interactions between other characters within the film, you know? Yeah, there's a dynamic between these two characters that are just odd. Um, and because obviously, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that later. So that's a very jarring scene. It's, it's very uncomfortable to watch. And then, yeah, I'm very upset that the poor kitten had to get killed. Um, 
But then you cut to Dominic and father or the father are meeting. And this is when the father's like, Hey, the cops came, they took her records. I could do nothing about it. Um, and the father Dom is like, well, why, how come you haven't told Catherine about all this, these, this trouble that Alice is supposedly causing at school. And the father's like, well, because I felt like I could handle it. Like I don't I didn't want to burden her. I felt like I had a good relationship with her. It's something I could take care of. And you know, she's just, there's, Obviously, she has some issues, and she just has a knack. He makes the comment. She has a knack for making things look like an accident. So, again, mm-hmm. obviously, this the, all these people know about Alice and her character, like how she is. Yeah, and they're all enabling this. Like, I mean, or at least the majority of them are enabling her actions. And anybody who's trying to prevent these things from happening, Annie, uh, people at the school and so forth like like the parents and other characters are like kind of like turning a blind eye to it so there's a lot of enabling there's a lot on all sides of the spectrum here and then you cut to alice in the basement alice has this little hideout in the basement and it's where she keeps her little trinkets so she has well now she has uh she has karen's doll that weird fucking doll she has all of her masks. She has about six or seven of these opaque plastic masks. She has a jar full of cockroaches. Um, and she has a bunch of candles. And she just likes to go down in the basement and play with all of her trinkets. It's a very odd little thing. Um, again, kind of reminds me of the bad seed. Um, so mm-hmm. her Rhoda had her little trinkets and yeah. stuff that she would go play with. Uh, and now we get... So we see Alice put the mask on. Okay. Now we cut. We cut to Aunt Annie getting her things because she's going to go out to the store, I think. Okay. And then we see the figure in the yellow raincoat and mask come up the stairwell. And as Annie comes out of the apartment and goes down the stairwell, she goes down one of the flights of stairs and she sees the figure and she's like, Alice. And the figure immediately starts stabbing the shit out of her. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you see the knife penetrate her thigh where one of her like main arteries would be like it is a bloody violent sequence and one thing that like leading up to this i also want to acknowledge is as they're intercutting the sequence with the masked individual hiding uh in and and um with annie you know putting on her plastic like headpiece to, to protect her from the rain and everything you're cutting between all these things you're also intercutting with a few moments with um Alonzo within his house. Oh yeah. Like listening to music. And what I thought was really cool about this sequence is like for a moment I felt it could go a lot of different directions. It could have gone that he was the one that got killed, that she's coming back and killing him. And so they almost like they they set you up to kind of expect it to go one way because they just had that really weird moment where he groped her. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And instead you see the ant get attacked. And um, it, it, it did take me by surprise. It was really well handled. What a violent sequence. Um, you don't have a ton of violent moments throughout this film, but when you do, they're very well executed and bloody. And, um, you know, she stabs her multiple times. She stabs her in the center of her foot. Like, it is graphic. It is graphic. It is a very well done scene. It's very creepy if you've ever, like, been in an old apartment building like that. I remember my grandma lived in an apartment building like that. And when I was a kid, it ter- the, the, the whole stairwell like that terrified me. 
Um, so this the scene was especially kind of unsettling because it's very much like sort of like not it's like the, the shower scene in Psycho just comes out of nowhere and it's it's brutal it's fast I mean the knife is like this the knife is hitting everything like she's just stabbing it's going into the wall it's going into the staircase it goes into her like you said her thigh twice and then her foot and when she falls down the stairs and the killer goes after her and it just so happens that um, Annie or um, Catherine comes out and sees the figure and, and Alonzo's out there and he's screaming and the figure runs away and you get this really just, oh, just, I don't even want to, what's the word? Where she crawls outside and it's pouring rain. She's Yeah, it's very hectic. It's like commotion. Like they do a really good job of these things are cutting between all these things happening. It makes it feel very, um, textured and like there's even you know like the commotion in the hallway and the people like putting their like poking their heads out of the doors and hearing the commotion there's all these different um layers to what's going on they do a great job with making it feel uh like just out of nowhere and just it hits and it's this violent moment and then the figure runs away and they're in the rain and she's like holding her sister who's just screaming and it's really kind of like this primal moment which felt very um uh, ahead of the time i feel like uh, it, it's a really graphic moment and it doesn't feel like something from that era um it feels very real a lot of times you have some of these moments that feel very wooden and this doesn't it feels very raw yeah, that's a good primal and raw it is very pri- that those are great words i was trying to think of the right word this scene is just so unsettling it's one of my favorites from the film because it is so effective and just so jarring I mean, yeah, they're in the, the rain is pouring down. She is screaming and the big pool of blood is just forming on the sidewalk. It is just really effective. Um, and Dom and the father come in the car right at that moment and, and they're able to get Annie and take her to the hospital. Um, and Catherine is like, you need to find Alice. Uh, and so Dom goes and he finds her hiding in the basement and she has that damn doll and Alice tells him that it was Karen, that she saw Karen, and that Karen must be back because she wants the doll. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. I mean, I don't know. Cuckoo yeah. fucking bananas. So yeah. Annie's in the hospital. We find out that Alonzo has also told the police that it was Alice that stabbed Annie. So not everyone thinks it's Alice that stabbed Annie. Um, and this I, this scene is very well done, very well acted. It's when Catherine goes to confront Annie. And Annie's laying in the bed, and Catherine, I mean, you have to have, you, I've had some sympathy for Catherine up until this point. And it's this point that I kind of yeah. lose it a little bit because she is only concerned about herself at this point. And you can say you can't blame her because she lost her daughter. Um, her daughter is brutally murdered, and now, but for her to treat her sister like this is, yeah. And her sister is pretty much like at first, her sister won't even talk to her because she's like, you can tell that the sister is. It's hard for her to do this, and, and the sister even says she's like, "I love Alice. I swear on. I swear on." Um, the Lord that I love her. I love her, but she's the one that stabbed me. Like it, the sister's not being spiteful in this moment. Like and it can makes complete sense why she would have thought that because of the outfit. She's, I mean, she literally looked down and saw the yellow rain jacket. Yeah. Well, she, Catherine goes to her and this poor woman has just been brutally stabbed. She's laying in a hospital bed and all Catherine can do is say, 
don't do this to me. If you do this, I will never forgive you. And Kat, and Annie looks away and just tears start to roll down her eyes. And the cop comes in and her husband comes in and she's, she wants her husband. And this is when she, yeah, she is like, she tells everyone it's, it was Alice. And Catherine starts screaming at her, liar, liar, and then puts shifts blame towards Angela. I mean. Yeah, yeah, and it really does not paint her in the best light at this point. But I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm also trying to keep in mind, like, what this character had gone through. Like, to not only have lost a daughter within like, a matter of days, to also have it implied that her daughter is the one that did it. Her whole life, she even says, like, her whole life is falling apart, you know? I wonder, in her mind, who does she think did it? I mean, it's so obvious. Like, the, all signs point towards Alice. Whether, you know, so I'm wondering, who in her possible mind does she think did this? And, and it's really shitty, yeah, that she goes and says, oh, what about Angela? Angela, was, Angela wasn't there when, when uh, um, Angela wasn't in the church when, when Karen was killed. What about Angela? I mean, now you're throwing your niece under the bus? Yeah, I mean, yeah. When there's far more proof that it's your own damn crazy cuckoo daughter? Yeah, uh, absolutely. However, lo and behold, as things start to unfold, like, I guess it's a good thing she has her doubts. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because honest, I mean, this movie takes a very unique twist coming up around this point. Um, and, and one thing I, I also wanted to acknowledge, because there's a lot of really good stuff going on right now. There's even when they're in this hospital sequence, it is a very heavily Catholic hospital. There are crosses everywhere. They never, ever, ever drop that imagery. It's like, it's, it's, uh, haunting you throughout the whole film. You're constantly being just um, bombarded with Christian imagery. And it only enhances the film because it really does make it very uncomfortable. There is a, a huge level of Catholic guilt that I felt watching it. Um, but yeah, throughout this whole hospital sequence, you've got that extra layer of like Christian symbolism and everything and even what the sister's saying with i swear to the lord she makes it like a god reference in that as well these are just very religious people um and it does it, it makes the film that much more uncomfortable while watching it but there are a lot of shots leading up there's that whole sequence with the with the father leading up uh where he finds her in that room and i just wanted to go back really quick and acknowledge they make some beautiful visual decisions and choices uh up to this point in the movie um there's a shot of him looking through like a lace sheet and you just see his eyes there's lots of shots like that there's a shot and coming back to this hospital sequence of the iv going into annie's arm and like the little bit of blood splatter coming out and it's ugh, it just makes my skin crawl and uh because you know it is it's the 60s so all of these things are not as advanced and um, lots of really great artistic choices throughout the whole course of this movie. I absolutely hear you when you say that it has some of that Italian influence with the color pops and the reds and the yellows and everything. It's visually beautiful. It is visually beautiful. And like I said, it continues that whole, there's so many tight shots and it just creates that claustrophobic atmosphere. Even in the, even in the hospital sequence, everything is very tight. So it is very claustrophobic. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's almost like everyone is just jammed together and it just makes it that much more uncomfortable because it is a little, it is a little claustrophobic, if you know what I mean. There are a lot of sh eye shots because when Annie or when uh, Catherine goes into uh, Annie's hospital room, she peeks at her through the crack of the um, the partition, and you just see her eyes peeking through. It's exactly. very, very cool. And we have to acknowledge another film that, that this 
movie probably was heavily inspired by was um, Don't Look Now with the raincoat. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that, whole, that whole thing. I think there's a lot of similarities between these two films as well, especially the, uh, the theme of like grief and trauma uh, that runs through. So, yeah, it's, it's, this film is very well constructed. It's, 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 a, it's a beautiful film. It's, there's a lot of really smart artistic choices that put it beyond, I would say, just a, just a general grade B slasher film. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. The Alice gets taken to the police station now because she's now a suspect in the stabbing of her aunt and the murder of her sister. Um, and they give her a lie detector test and they're asking her questions about, you know, if she knew who she, who, if she knows who killed her sister and, um, or who, who killed her aunt, who stabbed your aunt. And she's like, no. And the guy asks again, who stabbed your aunt? And she's like, it was Karen. It was Karen. I told him it was Karen, but nobody believes me. So they like, whatever, let her go. And they go, but he goes back out and he's like, the cop says, did she pass or fail? And he's like, well, she, I guess she technically failed. He's like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, because she said she didn't know who stabbed her aunt and she was lying. But then when I asked her, when she said it was her sister, Karen, she was telling the truth. So odd. Uh, and then like a real fucking piece of shit. She, uh, <laughs> she pushes the lie detector machine off the table. And they're like, that little bitch is about to break the machine. And she knows what she's fucking doing. She's such a piece of shit. That little Alice. Well, I mean, he, to make, to be fair, the lie detector got the lie detector test guy did make that comment about her tits. He's like, did you see her tits? When I put the, when I put the, you know, the thing around her, she looked like she wanted me to touch him. I'm How like, old is this child? He's 12. Wrong. This movie's wrong. Everyone's a pedophile in this movie. Everyone. So then we get lunch at the Monsignor's house with Miss Tredoni serving the Monsignor lunch. And he's just like this cranky old bastard who's screaming about this, screaming about that. I wanted him to die just as much as I wanted Karen and fucking Alice to die. Oh, he's annoying. Um, so Dom, but they do give us a wonderful stairlift shot. And if there's one thing I love in a movie, it's a stairlift. So I was really hoping it'd be incorporated in the kill scene, and it was not. But I'm still happy I got to see one. Yeah, he's 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 an old crank. No wonder, Mr. very old. Mr. No wonder, Mister Donny's so cranky because she has to take care of him. He's like, I want my cake. <laughs> yeah, but he's my kind of guy. I mean, he just says it how it is. He's very senile. I think he's played by someone significantly too young to be playing that someone that old. So they just powder his face down. But um, yeah, he's a, he's a pain in the ass. But I find him endearing because I hope to be that kind of person when I'm in my eighties. So Dom gets a list of everyone who has. He goes to the Monsignor's house to see the father, and he apparently gets a list of everyone who has the who has the same yellow raincoat because he's thinking he may be able to narrow down like, you know, some, some suspects who has the raincoat, obviously whoever has the raincoat is going to be a suspect. So they get the list and he's like, I'm going to go through it and I'll get back to you. Um, and then we get parents, um, the parents, Catherine and Dom go to see, uh, the, I guess it's a psychologist, um, for where Alice is at, which is jail. Dr. Whitman is her name. And she's like, 
basically very upfront with him. She's like, Hey, Alice needs psychological help. You better not tell her she's going home. She needs help. <laughs> I mean, she's very, yeah, that doctor's sensible. I mean, she's, she's no bullshitting. She's just straightforward. Uh, this girl needs to be here. And I promise that if, if she stays here, it will be better for her. And of course they don't want to hear anything of it. And they're like, well, we'll just get our own psychologist. Then. And as she's leaving, as they're leaving, the doctor's like, Hey, just so you know, if you know your daughter so well, Catherine, how come she never told you she began menstruating? Yeah, she's like kind of like, oh, on that note, bitch. Tell me how well you know her, bitch. Yeah, and the mother is not happy. No, so you get the whole idea of menstruation coming into play here. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that was that the thing that was awakening her? You know, her murderous desires. A lust to kill. I mean, it's, it's, who knows? It's sort of like Carrie, right? That's kind of what ignited her telekinesis. Yeah, I guess that's kind of a common theme throughout literature is, you know. Well, and if you're playing into the whole, the whole Catholic guilt, the Catholicism thing, the whole um, idea of like awakening sexuality and how sexuality is very like taboo and like looked at as um, oftentimes a bad thing. Like even in sex ed and everything, how waiting till marriage and everything, and uh, that, that you know, uh, that's always looked at through certain goggles with the Catholic Church, and it's not necessarily the healthiest way to address uh, sexuality, you know, with youths that you, at least I feel. So it, it has a lot of context. I think the whole, like you said, awakening of that within her. Um, I think there's plenty of layers to that alone. You know. And then you kind of get a scene where uh, Catherine is outside in the playground with Alice and Alice is mad because she thinks the mom wants to keep her there. And they're trying Catherine's trying to tell her, no, I'm not trying to keep you here. Um, and Kat- and Alice is telling her mother that she, ins- that she saw Karen. It was Karen. Um, but she's being a little brat. She like gives the doll back to her mother. And she's like, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. And as the mother is leaving, Alice runs up and gives her a big hug. And it's this big dramatic moment where they're embracing. And yeah. Alice needs to understand that you, you catch more bees with honey because she does not make it easy on anyone, including herself. No wonder people think she's a fucking killer because she's such a horrible child. Um, you know, it's exhausting. But um, one thing I do really like in this film, and I'm not always someone who wants drama in my horror films, but like if you're going to do it well, then by all means, is like the family arc as it unfolds here. Like it's a lot of really good acting. The whole divorced parents thing also felt very progressive for the time, and the fact they still like, as you learn, kind of have feelings for each other and everything. You have very fleshed out characters in this film, and even if they make some weird or stupid choices, at least like they're very divine characters. And I, I understand what their intentions are, even if I don't always agree with them, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the very next scene is when um, Catherine and Dom at her, at her apartment, and he's like still insisting that it could be Angela. Like now, now he's on the Angela bandwagon and now it's Catherine who's come to her senses and been like, no, it's not Angela. It can't be Angela. You know, there's no way she's too big. The raincoat, you know, is would, her raincoat would be like, way too big so it can't be her uh and then this is where they have this moment where they actually start to make out in the slowest kiss ever and they right as they're making out uh he gets a call from his new wife his current wife 
Ugh. Yeah. So that puts a damper on them, you know, going all the way. So she tells him he needs to go. And so he goes back to his hotel room. And this is when he gets a phone call from Angela crying hysterically saying that she has Karen's cross and that she needs to see him and to meet him at the specific location. I don't know how well he knows Angela, but to me, this voice does not sound like a little girl, but whatever. I mean, (laughs) he agrees and he goes to where Angela told him to meet her. And as he's there waiting, he sees the disguised figure. He sees the yellow raincoat and the mask on this bridge. And it takes off running into the building. And it's very, like I said, don't look now, where you always just see the figure out off the distance. I love it. What beautiful imagery. I don't know how he does Yeah, I don't know how he doesn't know this isn't Angela, because this person is, like, obviously skinny. Like, you see the full figure. It's not like... He sees, and it's obviously not Angela. Angela is a little beefy girl. This isn't Angela. But he follows her into this building. Now, this is shocking um, and brutal because as he's going up the stairwell, another staircase stabbing, the figure comes over the stairwell and plunges the knife into his chest. Yeah, yeah. You know, if this if this killer has one, like, go-to style of murder it's like surprising people on stairwells which is a shitty way to do things like what a pussy way to stab somebody when they're least expecting it but um it is it makes for some very shocking sequences and this one is again like i mean you don't get a ton of violence but when you get them they're very well executed and this stab sequence is great it's great and everything that follows is great yeah the knife, because he's, he falls back and the killer drops the knife and the knife falls, like really cool shot of the knife falling through the stairwell and landing, sticking in the banister. That's kind of a really cool yeah. shot. Uh, so after he's, he's just been stabbed, I, I don't know about you, but I would leave. I mean, I would like hobble my way out of that building and go get out. Yeah. Because obviously that's some, this person wants to kill you. No. What does he do instead? He pursues. He pursues and Angela or the figure is standing in a corner with the back turned to him and he's approaching. He's like bleeding out. He's just been stabbed. He's like, Oh, I just want to talk to you. And the figure turns around and beats him in the head with a brick three times. Uh, And then we get this whole thing where the figure starts like ties him up and begins like runs over and opens the the doors to the window because they're in, they're on like the top floor of this warehouse. It's at least four floors up. And starts rolling him towards the opening win- the opening window. Um, and then you get the scene where the killer unmasks themselves. Well, they start, first of all, they start like log rolling this unconscious Dominic uh, towards the window and like slowly log rolling him. Like one thing this killer's got is chutzpah. Like she is motivated. She's, doing everything it takes to get this person dispatched. Um, and so and, and at this, up to this point, I'm assuming it's still a child. So I'm like, good God, this kid has strength. She's rolling a grown man and he starts to come to, and he's freaking out and uh, she unmasks herself. And it is not what 
I anticipated. I don't think it's what anybody anticipated. It's not Alice. It's not Angela. It's it's Mrs. Tregoni. Dun 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 dun. All along. All along. <laughs> it's now this is this is startling. This is startling. Um for a few reasons. For a few reasons. First of all, it's halfway into the film at this point. Yeah, and I was wondering, like, did they make a mistake unmasking the killer this soon? Because the whole setup of the film is a who a who done it. Yeah, but you know what? As we go on, as we proceed from here, I thought the same thing in that moment. But what I do get from this point forward is a really interesting character study now knowing what you know about mrs tridoni as the like the next stage of events starts to unfold and seeing it more from her perspective it almost shifts from being from you know the alice and her mother focal point to now like kind of sharing that with mrs tridoni like she becomes a major player throughout the rest of the film you are very right there and that's that's the redeeming that's the redeeming thing about unmasking her at this point in the film is because the film does then do the job of giving us some explanation and focusing on her character. It's not like they just show her as the killer and then don't really do anything with it. No, we get the rest of the film becomes um, virtually her story as much as can be given. So Yes, and I feel that some of the strongest cinematic moments over the course of the film in general also are either delivered by or revolve around Mrs. Tridoni. She's a very strong character. I really, um, I now have, you know, watching the movie straight through and knowing what I know about it and everything, I, I enjoy this twist, even though if in the moment I did feel like, oh my God, like we've only had technically one kill and one, you know, two attacks. We already know who the killer is. How is this going to work? I think it does. Well, then it's, just, but it's also a little disturbing to think about this, this old woman killed like this, a little girl. <laughs> I mean, so she, the only thing, her, her accent is so heavy at times that I have a, I had a really hard time understanding what she was saying. And I, I don't know if that maybe I missed some of like, I'm not saying just in the scene, I'm saying from this point forward, there's points where her accent is so heavy that I had a hard time understanding what she was saying. So I was trying to get it like true motive and we'll talk, we're going to trust me. We'll get there. Yeah. But she yeah. screams at him that he's a filthy pig and that whore talking about Catherine. Now we know we've we've known we know that Catherine was pregnant with Alice before they got married, and it's kind of it's a known fact apparently. So right. Ms. Tredoni is upset about that. Um, he, she, this is brutal. She rolls him towards the thing, and he gets the cross. He has the cross in his mouth he gets it in his mouth and he won't give it back to her so she takes off her high heel and just starts beating him repeatedly he starts bleeding out of his mouth his teeth in with her high heel oh it's so it is rough it's hard to watch man and it's because she's like she's an older woman so like i that whole thing with her like rolling the body and everything like she's doing like it's not coming easy to her it's not like she has like you know a lot of these slasher movies you have a killer who takes on like strange superhuman strength mrs Tredoni is still a very old woman but she's getting the job done 
whatever means necessary, including beating this man with her fucking high heel. And it's just, yeah, it's really, again, another really raw scene, really brutal. And it culminates with him getting rolled over the edge of the building and like falling to his death. And it's a very effective fall, like the drop where you see it in the reflection of that like piece of glass and then you see the body hit. Like it's done in a really cool way. Um, they, they, they hit a lot of these sequences out of the park. Well, he's dead. They killed off, the, they killed off one of the main characters. I, you would not expect the father to be killed off so brutally. I mean, and it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and now you see Mrs. Tridoni kind of deal with like the repercussions, like emotional repercussions of what just happened as well. And that's another really cool aspect of this film is like when you start to see more light shine on her character and who she is, like her journey as a Catholic, especially like yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, well, she actually goes to the church after she kills him and somehow she gets like all, all the people start to come into church. So she, uh, she gets, she jumps into a confession booth and um, the father happens to go in there. So she's making a confession saying that she lost her temper with the Monsignor and there she feels bad because there are points where she basically thinks that he should die. So she, she don't have to take care of him. Um, so you're, that's kind of, you know, some glimpse into her mentality in terms of how she feels about having to take care of, of her kind of her position now of being a caretaker for this older gentleman where she has yeah. thoughts of, of him dying. And now that we know that she is a killer, we're thinking, Oh shit, is she going to kill this poor old man? Um, then there's this really good scene tension wise where Catherine goes to the Monsignor's house to look for Dom and Miss Tredoni is there. And now we know that Miss Tredoni is the killer. And we know that she thinks that Catherine's character is a whore. So, and they're in the, they're in the house basically alone together. Well, the Monsignor's upstairs, but he's old. He couldn't do anything. So Miss Tredoni is like, Catherine's like, can I wait? And she's like, sure, wait. And then there's a scene where she's in the kitchen and she just eyes this knife. And then you get the, She's cutting fish. Yeah, so she eyes the knife and then you get this shot of like someone approaching Catherine from behind and you're like, oh shit, here we go. She's going to get killed. But it's Miss Tredoni. She doesn't have the knife, but she's like, hey, I made you coffee. Come in the kitchen and you can have your coffee. But she is, I mean, she may not just go in for the kill, but she is very suspicious throughout this entire sequence. I think it's like now that the audience knows they wanted to play it up, but like the, her delivery of every single line is like, pause, 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 blah, 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 blah. Like there's always like a beat before it. That's always like very uncomfortable. Like, you know, exactly what she's thinking. Yeah. And it's through this conversation with Catherine, which is odd because Catherine is her kind of like nemesis apparently, but she is very, forward about telling Catherine that she, Mr. Doni, lost her daughter. Her daughter died on the day of her communion. <gasps> dun, 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 dun. And she says that she learned, and we, you know, I'm wondering, we'll get into motive, but she said that she learned through this that the children pay for the sins of their parents. Oh yeah. She's just dishing it out to Catherine who is becoming more and more uncomfortable as Mrs. Trudoni is just towering over her telling her how it is. Yeah. So, 
And then she's like, I was sent to take care of Monsignor, not you. And she points the knife aggressively at her. And luckily, Tom comes in. Well, not luckily, because he tells her that Dom has had an accident and has been killed. Um, and, and, and it's done off camera. So all you see is Mrs. Trudoni's like physical response. And like, one thing I like is you see like the moments of guilt that Mrs. Trudoni feels like has over these, you know, these moments where she's like dealing with the fact she's killed people. Um, uh, you get a lot of that. You get a lot of these little moments where she kind of just does things in the moment because she has to, but she's clearly like struggling with her Catholic guilt. It's a, a really unique approach to this killer. Yeah, it is. It is. And she, she kind of wipes her hands on her apron and is like, Oop. and then we find out that the cross was lodged in Don's Dom's throat through the pathologist. He's because Dom's at his body is being examined and they find the cross that was lodged in his throat. So now they know basically that the same person that killed Alice killed him, right? Because of the cross is there. That's the common. De- so right. it can't, you know, can't really be Alice now because Alice was in jail. So now it's starting to come out right. that there's someone else killing. Who is it? Okay. So they're trying to figure out who it is. Uh, they go to pick up Alice. She asks about her dad and um, Catherine has made the decision not to tell Alice at this point about the, her dad because she doesn't want to traumatize her anymore. Um, Understandable. I mean, also maybe a bad call in the moment, but you know what's not a bad call is that fantastic black and white ensemble that Catherine is wearing. Oh, yeah. She looks phenomenal. I don't know if it's her morning attire, you know, another day of grieving, or if she's just designed to like kick it up a notch, but she's wearing this great black and white outfit with a veil. Her eyes and her makeup are done really dramatic. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, she's definitely looking good. Miss Tredoni, then we cut to Miss Tredoni, and she's laying on her bed with, like, all these pictures. And I think they're, they're supposed to be pictures of her and her daughter, it looks like. Um, yeah, yeah. They, they really hand you bits and pieces of her backstory. And you're, I think you're supposed to kind of put some of it together for yourself. But they do it in a way that's like, I like that. I like that you see all these photos. Earlier, you heard her reference the daughter. And you can kind of make up the story for yourself that she went through a really traumatic loss. Well, and I'm thinking my thought process is that she had her daughter out of wedlock. And there's a lot of guilt she has being a Catholic about having a child out of wedlock. And that she feels like that was the, that was why her daughter was taken from her is because she had her out of wedlock because she does make the comment children pay for the sins of their parents. That's where I came from. And so that's where I feel like she is now taking some of that internalized um, guilt that she has and now placing it on Catherine because Catherine had a child out of wedlock. Right. Yeah, and because she had to go through that loss for the reason that she thinks that she had to go through it, which is a very twisted, but, you know, uh, she thinks that if that's the case, then it should be the same with Catherine. And so she's choosing to inflict that on her herself. Yeah. So she gets herself all ready. She packs up her little bag with her mask and her knife. Gives, she kind of stares at the father's picture for a minute and just says something. I don't know what she says because I think it's Italian. I don't know. Um, to his picture. Did you catch it? She said something to his picture and I think it's Italian. So I don't know what. I No, I don't. But I, I do wonder like the relationships between a lot of these characters are so um, confusing. She's so devoted to the priests, Mrs. Trudoni. You know, it's like the one thing she has is her faith, but I wonder if she almost thinks that, um, that Catherine is almost like 
having a negative effect on the on the father as well, the priest as well. Well, it could be, and I wonder if you know that now you're getting to where I was going to go when we wrapped up the film. But like, I feel like another reason why Trudon, Miss Trudoni singled out Catherine and her family for these murders is because she is jealous of the relationship that Catherine has with the with with father because you can see right. now knowing what we know if you go back to that opening scene where Catherine and the two girls come to visit father and Mr. Doni is in the um kitchen scrubbing the floor she does when she when she realizes who's there she does not look happy at all no she's quite sour about it um yeah and like it does you, you can kind of put these all these little aspects together like why is Catherine and her children getting such you know, great treatment when she's in, you know, quote unquote, a whore, whereas she's the one that's having to do all the cleaning and make, you know, all the work for the priest and everything. Like it does, I do understand the, the kind of motivation they're getting at here. And it is, it's not like any other film I can think of. It's, it's a really great approach to this material. Yeah. So now we get the scene back at the apartment complex where Alice, and again, if she was so, like, this is what I was saying, if she was so scared of Mr. Alonzo and this was something that he's done and, like, he's, he's tried to force himself on her in the past, I don't think she'd keep going into his apartment. But she goes into his apartment and she's dressed in her mask and her raincoat and she puts roaches all over him. And she takes the mask off so we know it's her and it's not. It's, so she's all smiling and everything and she leaves and then Catherine and her leave and they go out, you know, they leave the apartment. And at the same time as they're leaving, Miss Tredoni shows up and Mr. Doni's on a mission. Like if she goes up to Catherine's apartment and she's pounding on that door and we can only imagine if she would have answered that would yeah. what she was going to do. She was going to kill her right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got to say the fact that like, <laughs> as things have gotten to this point now in the film, the fact that this elderly Italian woman has managed to like concoct this actually very smart plan to recreate like this alter ego of this mentally deranged child who is already under the suspicions of the police. Like the, the fact that she's managed to like concoct this plan and take this alter ego, recreate the outfit and do all these killings under like the, disguise of being the child it's really a, a genius idea like when you think of it if things didn't play out the way they did with alice just being a horrible person putting cockroaches on that old fat man um that things would have probably gone you know uh, to plan with mrs Trudoni because it is a very well concocted plan it is it is so right as Miss Tredoni is pounding on the door, Mr. Downstairs, Mr. Alonzo wakes up to the cockroaches and he starts screaming. And Miss Tredoni hears this, so she runs down the stairs at the same moment that he comes out of his apartment. Just happens to be wrong place, wrong time. He runs into her and he thinks that it's Alice. And he grabs her and he's like, Alice, you little bitch. And she rips her, well, he rips the mask off and sees it's Miss Tredoni and she immediately stabs him two times in the chest. Brutal fucking sequence. I mean, like, every single time that they execute a kill like this, it's pretty fucking chilling. And what I really like about this one is, like, she stabs him twice in the chest. He drops to the ground, and he's, like, crawling across the floor, screaming. And meanwhile, 
the one cop is outside because he's been he's just been watching this. Like I think he's basically just been staking out outside with everything going on with Alice. He hears the commotion. He breaks in through the glass door, and he um, he does see Mrs. Tredoni leaving. Like he discovers her, but he gets in there, and, and at this point, uh, Alonzo has died. So like you see this really violent, again very violent sequence. In which you see Alonzo like bleed out through his chest on the floor and he like tears down his um, table and shatters his fishbowl. And the last shot you see is his like bloodied hand in the fishbowl. Mm-hmm. It's just really um, a, a, a brutal kill. Yeah, it is. And this is that, that's that, that's what makes the, the, the kills a little bit more brutal in this film is like you're right. The characters don't die right away. I mean, we get a prolonged scene after he stabbed of him crawling on the floor, just screaming and he tries to stand up. And he collapses and falls into his coffee table. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just really realistic. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what I think would happen if someone were stabbed, like you know, uh, to the chest or some area where you're like, you don't die right away. You're bleeding out. You're screaming for help, and like you see all of that, and it really does make your skin crawl. It's um, uh, I don't want to say there's a best kill in the film because they all they all call in and follow the same execute style of execution as well. Um, where you have a lot of like aftermath visual, uh, but they're all, all just done really well. So now the cop knows it's Mr. Doni because he saw her unmasked and she runs to the church. And so now there is, they're at the church and they're doing their Sunday worship and the cops are, they know it's her. They know she's in there. So father is out there talking to the cops and he's like, I will take care of it. I, I will, I'll get her to come outside. She'll come with me. Um, it's not going to be a big deal. And the cop's like, are you sure we're going to have our men up in the balcony? Just, and he's like, no, no, no. I know her. I, I will, she'll come with me. It's fine. Um, and so they're in the church and they're doing the communion and Mr. Doney's old ass. She just comes up there and she butts poor little fat Angela right out of the way. Did you see that? <laughs> oh yeah. And she like shoulder butts her. She like football tackles her. Uh, but then she squats down there right next to Alice and it's such an uncomfortably tense moment. Because you're like, what is going to happen? Is she going to- And there's, yeah, more shots of people with their tongues sticking out, taking taking communion like loads to the face. It's very uncomfortable. Do you notice, do you, this is another interesting little maybe bit of symbolism. Do you realize in this film, Alice never takes communion? Well, yeah, because she, both times that she's lined up to get it, He's interrupted. Um, it's interrupted, yeah. Because of the first yeah. scene, when she, she's sitting there with her tongue out, that's when they find Alice, or find Karen. In this scene, her mother gets communion, and she's next, and she's sitting there with her tongue. Then they skip right over her to go to Miss Tredoni. Um, and the father kneels down next to Miss Tredoni. He's like, Miss Tredoni, you need to come with me. Um, the police are here. They want to talk to you. And she's like, you can tell she's like, Oh shit. You know, but she does turn around and she's like, father, I wanted my communion. And he's like, no, not now. You need to come with me. And she turns around and points at Catherine. And she's like, but you gave it to the whore. In the middle of like this silent church where everybody is like sitting there in like peace and quiet, reflecting on taking communion, her voice like echoes and it's so uncomfortable. And you see Catherine like, oh, <laughs> like she's like, shit. Um, yeah, it's a very um, uh, disturbing moment because like it, it, at this point, there's she shatters any uh, veil of like secrecy here. You know, like, you know, they're trying to do it discreetly and have her like removed quietly. And it's clear that she's not going to go out quietly. 
No, she's not. She's not. And um, as the father is kneeling there, I think Mr. Doni just realizes she's, there's not much she can do. So she takes the knife out of her bag and quickly, unexpectedly plunges it into father's neck. Again, very graphic. Like she pulls it out. And she's just looking at him and you see he puts his hand up over his, his neck, like trying to cover the wound and blood just starts. And it's that like 1970s, like bright, bright, colorful, red blood. Um, but God, it works so well in this film because there's so much color to begin with, but it's just very gory and very violent. And he's in that, like, he's in his, you know, he's his, his white priestly attire. He's in his robe and it's just becoming drenched in blood. He drops into her arms and everyone just starts screaming. Parents are running up, grabbing their children. Uh, there's commotion. It is wild. Yeah. And she looks shocked that she did it um, at first. She really does. She looks like shocked that she actually did it. But then she like drops the knife and like hugs him and is like just hugging him like bear hugging him, just comforting him. Uh, and there's this really like cool effect of you see his face and she has her yellow raincoat on and he has the white priest thing on it as his head is leaning in her, you know, her neck, just the blood just overflowing onto the raincoat. It's just so. Yeah. It's such great imagery. And I really felt like what a strong ending. This sequence was so well done because earlier, you know, when they had the moment in the confessional and he was talking to her and comforting her um, and reassuring her that she was right in her, in how she was feeling and she was okay and how she was feeling and how she was, you know, with her whole, her whole story that she told him, um, uh, you know, she, as she listened to him speaking, she was like in ecstasy almost like she's sitting there like, almost like rubbing herself with joy as he was like reassuring her that she is a good Catholic and that she's fine, you know? And so this moment she, after she does that, she, she is cradling him and she's just smiling and it's, Oh, it gives me the heebie jeebies. Like what a, what a strong. Ending. And all the cops start rushing up. And then we get Alice who starts to walk away from the scene. And the final shot is Alice she gets the knife and she puts it into her bag and shuts the bag and then just kind of smirks at the camera. What a, what a kick-ass final shot. You know, like, I mean, you could have even ended it on the note prior and I would have been like satisfying. Like what a good ending. But this whole final moment with Alice where you're like the whole time you've known she's fucked up and then you're like, oh yeah, but don't think that she's, not part of the problem. Yeah, like they just push her over the edge. Like yeah. what is she going to do now? Yeah. And, and, and even like, and, and how much, you know, all of this, this whole time she's been lying. Who's to say like, you know, if you really sit down and analyze this, like who's to say that she, one of those scenarios was not her. Who's to say it was not her uh, involved in what, you know, that you don't get a clear final picture as to towards some of these kills and which one is actually handling it. Like a few of them, you know, it's Mrs. Trigoni, but you know, the whole situation with, the sister and everything like what point did it become Mrs. Tridoni and what point was it Alice? Like it kind of blurs almost. And um, it leaves you with such an unsettling feeling. You know, this girl is a problem. Um, and there's, this has only just begun for the mother, you know? Well, yeah. And you know, you know, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Who is to say that, that Alice did not kill her sister. You, we don't know. 
Um, or who's to say that Alice, you know, didn't a- attack her aunt. We don't, I mean, you don't know. I mean, it's, it's left. It's there, there is that there could be, you know, um, arguments made, but it's, but now, yeah, the movie leaves us thinking like, what is going to happen? There's not going to be any, because now everyone's going to focus on the fact that, oh my God, poor Alice was accused. They're going to coddle her. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously she's not going to get the help she needs. Her father's um, dead. So she's just lashing out. Yeah. Yep. So God knows what's going to happen. You know, there was this movie could have used a sequel, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, like uh, I'm not always pro sequel, but in the sense of just the the amount of story that you have to investigate here, uh, you could have definitely gone further with it, but God, as like a, as a standalone piece of cinema, its own on its own two legs. um, It, it's a great film. It's a beautiful film. It's uh, it's, it's, a movie that makes you think um, it's hard to predict. There's a lot of symbolism. There's a lot of themes that are explored, you know, guilt, um, all, all kinds of stuff. So, and you know, you just, you, you kind of fill in your own blanks as far as what you really truly think Miss Tredoni's motive was for doing this. Was it jealousy? Was it guilt? Was it Catholicism that her, her, her extreme Catholicism and the guilt over her child? Was that what drew? You're left to you're left to kind of fill in the blanks yourself, and I think that's what makes the film a lot more effective. This film is definitely a lot deeper than many, many, many slasher films. I mean, yeah, yeah, it 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 it's a lot deeper, and um, it really like uh, it doesn't um take the themes lightly. Like it delves into some of these concepts, and and coming full circle with. What, what was brought up earlier about, you know, how is this movie not at least with certain groups or certain branches of religion um, considered to be more taboo because it is ballsy. It's a ballsy film. It does not hold back. No, no. I think it's very, I think the film now has a very good reputation. I feel like it's held in high regard as it should be, as it should yeah. be. I mean, this should be one of the premier, you know, films when we talk about the slasher genre that definitely shaped it. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, it's, I think it was a little bit of ahead of its time. Um, it's just a great film. It's a great horror film. It's a great slasher film. It's a great whodunit film. It does everything right. It does very few things wrong. Yeah. Um, agreed. It'll, it'll get you thinking. It's definitely going to make you think it's going to make you cringe. Um, so, and that's what we want when we watch a good horror film. So, yeah. And especially to say a movie from the late seventies that can still have that kind of impact. Like there are several points during watching it in which like my jaw dropped. I was pretty shocked that they attempted some of the things that they did uh, at this time, both contextually and in the sense of like execution of the violence. Like it was just, um, when you say ahead of its time, like I agree, I think that it, it's one of those movies that, and I'm not saying by any means I want to see a remake of this, but could easily be remade today. And a lot of these themes and concepts could be explored just the same. That's interesting because there was there was a remake on the table. It was supposed to happen about 10 years ago and it just never came to fruition. Uh, so I'm just wondering though, you'd, you'd have to approach it carefully, I think, th- these days. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, because I, I don't know if the film could be made today to the same degrees. Oh no, the the PC policing would would not take kindly to it. I feel for a lot of reasons, it would have to be restructured. And if it's going to be restructured, why bother? You know, so it, it's definitely one of those things that's um 
it's a standout from that era because it took the risks it did. And uh, we as horror fans are very lucky to have this film. I yeah. feel. And, and, and again, watch it, check it out. If you have, if you, I'm sure you've watched it, if you're listening to this episode, but watch it again. Cause I feel like you're going to catch things. This is a film that's layered. There's a lot of stuff going on, subtle stuff that you're not going to catch. And that's why we love Alice with Alice. Definitely a huge thumbs up. I love this film. I'm glad I got to revisit it. Uh, so yeah. 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 And you know, it's fun. I was, I was reading through my notes as we we're getting ready to talk about it. And one of the things I wrote was, you know, there's not a lick of humor in this there, other than a few little moments with Alonzo, there really is no humor in it, but I felt like going to this, I was like, I can't see this review being one of our more comedic ones. No. Just because honestly, like, Hey, there's a level of respect for this film that like needs to exist because it is just really well done. And B, um, a lot, because it's so ballsy to go into some of the um, dialogue and concepts that it does, I, I, it's hard to make fun of some of this as compared to, you know, an evil laugh, which is like, you're, what are you going to do other than shred that apart and make fun of it? Because that's what that exists. That's the purpose of that movie still hanging around. This is um, a film with a lot of depth to it. It shows that, you know, a lot of people say horror films are always, um, shallow or paper thin, and this is not a thin movie. This movie has a lot of meat to it, uh, and is a is a title I would probably bring up in an argument if somebody said that you know horror movies are nothing but uh, bad storylines and bad acting. I'd be like, no, this this title is uh, a an example of some prime cinema. So yeah, that's we definitely yeah. I don't think this is one of our more fun funny episodes, but it's definitely a conversation that I think is enlightening when, in regards to the film. So we're going from this absolute, well, I would, I would call this film a, a kind of a, a masterpiece, I, I think. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. Of the genre. Now, now, are you going to reveal, because now we're on to your picks, because I did I did uh, Evil Laugh, and now I did Alice Sweet Alice. So now you get to pick the next one. Yeah, you know, we're going from one extreme to a whole other. I'm going to be real. Um, I'm... I don't know what I was thinking when I picked this title, but thank God I did. And listeners, I am sorry, but I'm saying if you're going to listen to this next episode, you cannot, I'm, you're not allowed to listen unless you watch the goddamn movie because it is, it's a real fucking gem of a film. Next episode of Dark Knight of the Podcast, we will be watching the 1990 R classic. Shockma! Starring Amanda Weiss from A Nightmare on Elm Street and Come in Full Circle with Blue Lagoon, Christopher Atkins. Oh, look at that. Look, look at, at that. that. Look how we wrapped that one up. That was meant to happen. I did not even put those pieces of the puzzle together, um, but I'm happy that that's the case because it's so random and ironic. This is a movie that I honestly had never heard of. So uh, that that's very rare because I feel like I'm pretty well-schooled in the horror genre. I've never heard of this film. When Roger told me this film, I'm like, what? I've never heard of that. He's like, you got to watch the trailer immediately. And I did, and it's the best fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So if you have not seen this film, I think it's, you said it's on Tubi, right? It's on fucking Tubi, and it's also on Amazon Prime. And, like, just for a basic idea, because I know a lot of people are not going to know about this movie, the, <laughs> the storyline is about a group of, of, like, medical students who are, like, LARPing in a hospital in which... There's also a like scientific study going on with a baboon where they're like 
putting an implant in the baboon to like learn to like control its emotions. But of course things go awry and this little fucking baboon is not something you want to deal with because he is very violent. And I don't know about you, but I find it like enraged animals terrifying. So I cannot wait to discuss this movie with you. And listeners, get your hands on it. Find a way to watch it. Shockma from 1990. Yes. Killer baboon. We go from killer old Catholic women to killer baboons. <laughs> One and the same in my book. Oh, man. Okay. So, yes, I'm excited. I cannot wait to watch Shockma. Yes. And watch the trailer, too. If you're not hooked by the trailer, I don't know what to tell you. The trailer is like an adrenaline rush like I cannot describe. <laughs> it really paints it in a good light. Is it going to actually live up to it? We'll see. But, guys, next, next week we're going to be watching Shockma. So I hope to have you back. Up until then, feel free to leave us some love. Feel free to leave us some likes, maybe. Leave us a review. Yes, all of the above. And we will see you next week with Shockma. Shockma.